Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I, I guess this talk is, is, is given as some of its basis in the fact that we're at the beginning of a year. We've just said goodbye to the old year and we're saying hello to the new year. And there's a desire, there's a, a want for this new year to bring good things, uh, for this new year to be better, to, to forget some of the bad things that happened in, in the past year, perhaps, and to look forward. And so what I want to do is not look necessarily at New Year's in the, in, the, in the Bible, although we will come to one reference to that, but I just want to consider this aspect of things that started um, and what happened after they had started and what lessons can we learn. And there will be some things where we see there was a great start and then there was a position that was bringing sadness, bringing grief, um, bringing disappointment afterwards. But in each case, what we will see, I hope, <coughs> is that just as we have there in Genesis chapter 1, we will have a bit of a separation. God said, let there be light. And there was light when previously there was darkness. Light was separated. There was a separation of light and darkness. And how many times did we read in that chapter there with John? And God saw that it was good. What he had done was good. Um, you can scan back over the chapter just to underline each of the verses where God saw that it was good. And, and when we come to verse 27, um, we find that after the creation of man, after man and woman have been created, uh, we, we find that God says or sees that it is uh, very good. Um, verse 27 uh, God created man in his own image in the image of God he created them male and female created he them God blessed them God said to them be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over everything every living thing that moves on the earth and God said see I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to every living thing that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So there was a completeness. There was a, 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 a sort of finishing, a satisfaction with what there was there. And, and yet, we go in through the next two chapters in Genesis, and we find that although God had given them the fruit of the trees and the fruit of the fields to have for food, he gave them one restriction. Verse 16 of chapter 2, the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For on the day that thou shalt eat of it, you shall surely die. And so there's a single command there, a single instruction to, to, to man. In, in this wonderful world that God had given them. And he says, don't eat of that one particular tree. You will know good and evil. And you will die. Well, sad to say, the Bible records that man 
and a woman did eat of that tree. And that's recorded for us in chapter 3. Um, and we find that both Adam and Eve ate of the tree. Verse 6 of chapter 3 tells us, When the woman saw the tree that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And so that single commandment from God was broken. And we're told elsewhere, sin entered into the world. Sin is disobedience to God's command. And sin entered the world. And it did bring death. Let's just read of the um, brief account of that in verses 17 to 19. Because God acts when he is disobeyed, God acts. And he says to Adam, he's previously spoken to the serpent and to Eve, God said to Adam, Behold, uh, sorry, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so a life in God's creation that could have been so very good as God saw it became cursed. And there was death. There was toil, there was weeds, the simple thing, the weeds in the earth. The growing of food was no longer going to be so abundant, it was going to be a toil to live. And, and so it has been. That was the result of man's disobedience. And yet even in this disobedience... Even in this beginning of sin, we've looked at the beginning of creation, the beginning of the good things. Even in this beginning of sin, there is, there is hope. And that's what we want to consider. Um, Genesis 3 verse 15, if we just go back a little, we go back to what God spoke to the serpent. Uh, let's just break into verse 14 for connection. God says, Behold, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And as we come to read later in the Bible, we understand that this means that the serpent being bruised in the head will be fatally wounded. His power, his life, if you like, will be destroyed. And you shall bruise his heel. The one who stamps on his head will be hurt as a result, but not fatally. And this applies to the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me not go into that just now. But in this message of curse, there is a message of hope. There's the beginnings, a way out of the, the, the distress and the blackness 
of this curse that God put on mankind. It's not just me that's saying that there's something there. Let's go to, to 2 Timothy in chapter 1. Because God does give us hope right from the very beginning. Uh, Paul writing to Timothy says this. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse verse 10 is the uh, is the key one but let me just go, go back a little bit to read uh, earlier for connection 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 uh, we, we have the power of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So right from the very beginning, God had purposed, in his purpose and in his grace, given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So that was there in purpose beforehand and has now been revealed, verse 10, by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So right at the very beginning, Timothy, Paul is telling us that God had something in, in, in prospect in his purpose and his grace. And it was revealed to us in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he summarizes the purpose of that, who has a, and, the, and the achievement of that, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so we have their confidence that there is a promise in the beginning here uh, in, in Genesis. Let's move on a few pages in Genesis. And we've had the promise of death, but we get a promise that gives a hope uh, if we come to Genesis chapter 12. And here we have a single man point, selected out because of his faith. He expressed his faith and trust in God. And God saw that and gave him a commission, gave him a purpose. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who curse, bless you, curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And, and here's a first promise given to someone in expression, in a, in a response to his faith. That God was calling him out from where he was to go somewhere else. And God was going to make of him a great nation, and that in his family, all families of the earth could be blessed. And that promise is developed as we go through Genesis. Uh, I, I don't want to go into every chapter where it is, but we saw a promise of a nation there. Uh, and we see a little bit of the development of that nation when we come to Genesis 15 and, and verse 13, because God reveals more to Abram about his promise and how it be, would be brought about. 
Genesis 15 and verse 13. God said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And so Abram was not was to die, not having received the promise, but he'd been given a picture and prospect of what was to happen to his descendants, that they would become a greater people. They would be in service in another land. And we find later that that is the land of Egypt. Um, Genesis tells the story of how Abram's descendants came to come into Egypt. And we perhaps remember the story of Joseph and how he uh, was one who believed in God, who brought about in Egypt, having understood what God had in store for the people, he brought about a method of government that saved Egypt and the surrounding peoples from famine. And Joseph died in Egypt, but he believed in the promises that were given to Abram, who was his Abram, Isaac, Jacob, uh, and then Joseph, so his father, grandfather, great-grandfather, got, got it right. So his great-grandfather, Abram, had been given the promise, and Joseph believed that it was going to be brought true, that the nation that was in Egypt would be brought out. Uh, and so Genesis chapter 50 and verse 24, when Joseph was about to die, he said to his brethren, I am dying. Here in Genesis 50, verse 24, he confidently says, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so he tells his people, take my bones with you because I want to be in the promised land. I don't have a part in Egypt. Exodus then tells us how they were brought out. And the passing reference to the new year comes in Genesis, Exodus chapter 12 and in verse 2. And so here we find that God has been working with Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh with the plagues, the ten plagues, such that Pharaoh wanted Israel to leave the land of Egypt. And it's towards the end of this period that God says to Abram, says to Moses, sorry, Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And he goes on to say how they were to prepare the Passover and to start their new year as they left the land of Egypt behind them. To leave all the blackness of Egypt behind them to go to the promised land uh, with, with Moses it was to be the new start a new start, a new year and God instituted that there 
So the people went into the land. They went into the promised land, not without their problems in getting there, but they went there, they were established in the land, and we go through the time of the judges uh, to a time when the people became agitated again. They saw that they were different, but they didn't want to be different. You know how God made a separation at the beginning, light from darkness, and God gave a command <coughs> to Adam and Eve, do this, not that. Only one thing not to do, but fulfill God's purpose in the earth. So that separation, that difference was something that just as Adam and Eve thought, well, maybe it's not so bad after all. We would rather like to eat that fruit. So we find that the people of Israel in the promised land wanted to be the same as those around them. And that's in contrast to God wanting to separate light from darkness. Come with me to 1 Samuel in chapter 8. First Samuel chapter 8 and verse 5, no, verse 4. All the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah. Samuel was the priest of God and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. They saw kings in the nations around them and said, That's quite a good way to do it. Why don't we be like that? Why aren't we like that? Why do we have a judge who is a man of God? Why do we have that? Let's have a king like all the other nations. And Samuel, as you cast your eyes down through the, the chapter, he was dismayed by this and he prayed to God for an answer. And, and God says to him, <coughs> verse 19, well, this is the people actually, the, the, the account continues, but the people refuse to listen to Samuel who says, the Lord is their king. And verse 19, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. And what we find in the account is that God says to them, you want a king? Well, you'll have a king like all the nations around you and you'll not like it. The kind of treatment that you get it will not be what you want. He'll take you, he'll tax you, he'll make you servants, he'll, he'll take you into his employ. He'll be greedy, he'll want you. He'll not be looking after you. That's the kind of king that you want. And so God selected a king for them. He directs Samuel 
to one who fits the bill that the people want to have, or the king that they want to have, and Saul is anointed king. But we find that Saul, as predicted, rather wants to do the things that he wants to do and not the things that God wants done. And we find of his rejection in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We'll just move on to chapter 15. And the whole chapter gives an account of how Saul didn't obey the word of God to kill the enemy, but he spares his life. And God has an answer for him, and we read that in uh, chapter 15 and verse 23. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as, as iniquity and idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Uh, and so this start, if you like, this nation of Israel wanting a king, the sort of king that they wanted, is shown to be one who doesn't want to obey God in what he does. But there is hope, because in verse 1 of chapter 16, we, say, we, we see that God has a purpose, he has a plan. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, I have provided myself a king among his sons. That there was a man here that was of the sort that God wanted, the sort that he wanted over his people, the right sort of mindset. And we get great examples uh, in the life of David. We get mistakes as well, but his attitude towards God is one that we would do well to follow. And God provides him. David is the king. That is to be there. When David comes to the throne, he wants to do things for God. And he comes to a point where he wants to build a temple for God. It's something that would fulfill the word of God back in Deuteronomy. Uh, where God said that he would appoint a place to put his name when they were in the, the land, the promised land. Uh, and David wants to do something about this and he says I want to build a house for God I want to build a temple for God and God tells him not yet but I've got a plan for you and we read of that in first chronicles if we go to first chronicles in chapter 17 we're at the beginning of a royal family of God's choosing David is the first king in this family. And God says there is a future. And a plan and a purpose that I have. First Chronicles chapter 17. <clears throat> first thing, having recounted um, what, what I have just in the in background information. It's worth noting that in verse 4. God says to his prophet, go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. So will you want to do it? You're not going to do that job. 
but I have got something for you. And we're dropping to verse 11. In fact, just the end of verse 10 there. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. It shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And I will not take away my mercy from him, as I took it away from him who was before you. I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. And so we're told here there is a prospect for the future. There is hope. There is a kingdom and a a royal line that God has established that will last forever. And the king, well, we turn to the first chapter, the first verse of the New Testament to identify uh, that Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ Christ being anointed the son of David the son of Abraham and if you ever thought that you could throw away the Old Testament the first verse of the New Testament tells you that you have to know about the Old Testament. The, New Test- the Old Testament is there giving us the basis of God's plan and purpose. The gene- genealogy of Jesus Christ is rooted in David, the first <coughs> king after God's own heart, who was given promises, and in Abram, the first man who was called out from the nations for his faith and given promises. And so we have to know about them to understand the purpose and uh, life of Jesus Christ. So the Old Te- New Testament without the Old, it's like walking on one leg. Not very easy, and you don't get very far. So we have the King. We have the birth of Jesus. And the time that Jesus came was born the nation was under the power of the Romans and they were looking for somebody to be a king to rid them of the Romans. But Jesus knew what sort of king God wanted. He knew that the king that God wanted was one who was first and foremost obedient to God. And that meant he took what man through Adam, he ended up being killed because he wasn't the sort of king that the people wanted. Now it makes us think of Saul and David, doesn't it? The sort of king that God wants is not the sort of king that mankind wants to have. But God wants us to respond to him. He wants us to respond in the way that Jesus did. But Jesus was rejected and he was um, the sort of thing that shows that he, he, he wasn't the sort of king that people wanted under this oppression 
Um, Matthew chapter 5, just one example. Um, and, and we were thinking about this this morning. But in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, the sort of teaching that Jesus had turned man's thoughts upside down. Verse 44. I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And there's a reason for it, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so he says, you'll be behaving like God, who is equal in his treatment for those who live on the earth. But he, there are some things that are conditional, uh, as we will find out. So that was the kind of teaching that Jesus had. And the people rejected him. And he was crucified and slain. That wasn't the end though. What we find, let's go to the Acts of the Apostles. Listen to those who were with Jesus during his time of (coughs) preaching, his time of ministering to the people. Let's listen to what the disciples had to say. Um, Acts chapter 2. And here we, we, we have, in verse 22, Peter, one of the apostles, one of his main disciples of Jesus, speaking to people in Jerusalem. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, by wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And he goes on to say that this was all t- mentioned in the Old Testament. You read the Psalms, you read the writings of David the king. David saw concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. And there I think we have spoken of not only Jesus not being allowed to remain in the in the grave to see corruption. His body wasn't going to, to decay like everyone else. And he was raised from the dead. That's what Peter was telling the people. Jesus was raised from the dead. And in fact, verse 29, men and brethren, let me freely speak to you about the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, 
he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And so David was looking to the, the greater king, who was the son of God, God's holy one, he was raised from the dead, the first fruits from the dead, the first man to be raised to eternal life. Also in that little psalm there, there's a, a hint that David saw that he would see that day as well. He wouldn't be left in the grave either. And so there is a future day when he will be raised from the dead. But more of, more of that uh, another time what does this mean for us well Peter in his letter his general letter which we get towards the end of the New Testament in 1 Peter in chapter 1 and verse 3 he speaks to people who believe and he says Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he says, there in that beginning, that beginning of resurrections, there is a reason for hope, a reason for you to be positive. He's begotten us again to a lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's got something greater. You can read on through the chapter, but I don't want to, to spend time there uh, this afternoon. What I want to just take a last few moments to, to think about is, how does that come about? How can we share in that hope that Peter had, that he shared with those believers that he was writing to? Well, we get a hint of it back in... Galatians chapter 3. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 3. And I just want to go in to pick out verse 22, which tells us that we're all suffering from the curse that was put on Adam and Eve. The scripture has confined all under sin. And that's from Genesis 3:15, 16, 17. That the promise of faith by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before faith came, we were kept under the law, under guard by the law, kept for the faith that would after be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. And he speaks about the Old Testament and the law that was given through Moses, the tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And he goes on in verse 26. 
through to the end of the chapter to explain a little bit more about the actions of faith. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. And, and although we've not read back earlier in, in chapter 3 here in Galatians, we are introduced to Abraham, his faith, being, and how he was counted righteous before God. And we're told here at the end of the chapter that those who are faithful, who are baptised into Christ, are related to Abram. And the promises that, made to, that were made to him can apply to us too. And so we, we have that promise, that positive hope that comes from that. And it will mean potentially our resurrection and um, let me just go to first corinthians chapter 15 our last our last reference uh, last chapter that we want to go to it's a long chapter so i'm not going to read it all don't worry um we'll, we'll soon be soon i'll soon be sitting down again but first corinthians chapter 15 the resurrection of christ that we've thought about is the real thing that brings the real beginning that be brings a positive hope for the future. First Corinthians 15, verse 19 and 20. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And, and that link there with Christ is what we saw in Galatians chapter 3 through baptism. And so we have uh, that central, central point of belief in the life of the believer in Christ. That he was raised from the dead, that it gives promise of a future resurrection. And let's just read down from verse uh, 23 to the end, to the end of verse 26. For, uh, but each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And what we find in the next verse, verse 27, it takes us right back to Genesis. For he has put all things under his feet, quote from the Psalms, but you go to the Psalms, you get yourself back into Genesis. When he says all things are put under him, it is, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. And so when all things are made subject to him, to Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all 
and in all. And, and the statement in Genesis that it takes us right back to is the original thing that God said to Adam and Eve that they were to have food, they were to have a purpose in the realms of God's creation. He said, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Jesus had dominion over everything, even to him having dominion over his own thoughts. He aligned his thoughts with God's thoughts. And in that he completely fulfilled that command, that instruction that was given to Adam and Eve. And because of that, there's a real reason for us to have hope. Jesus was raised from the dead because he did that. And we've been told that we can be raised from the dead too by our association with Christ in baptism. And so let's learn the lessons from these beginnings. Adam and Eve had a choice to obey God or to disobey God. They disobeyed and the result was death. Israel had a choice of king. The Lord was their king, but they wanted a king like all the peoples around them. And Saul, the type of king they wanted, was rejected by God. He showed himself to be unfit to be a god after a, a king after God's uh, God's direction. But there was a king, King David, who sat on the throne and was given promises about a future everlasting king. That man we saw was Jesus. He was the first to be raised to the dead. Not a one-off, but the first, a beginning. And there will be more to follow, those who have been baptised into Christ. Question for us, if we want to have that positive hope that there is, then we have to listen to God. And now's our opportunity to do that by taking hold of his word of truth and reading it and learning the lessons that are there from the past that we might have a new beginning and a positive hope for the future.